This ministry has been made available by Kenneth Higgins Rama Bible Training Center, Nigeria. Well, I'm not going to try to do it. What I'm going to do, what I'm going to do, we're going to be done by five. Is that possible? It's possible. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me, right? Amen. Because of the meeting taking place downstairs. Um, um, and then many people are going to be coming and all that. So, um, if you have a questions, we, we will cover everything. Hmm? Fear not. I always complete the syllabus. All the time. You see, I always say that. And that's why it always happens. God always helps me. <laughs> Amen. So if you have questions, just note them. Write them down so you don't forget. We will go on for the next um, bit and then we'll take questions at the end. By 5 o'clock, we will be done. Alright. We've looked at the importance of faith, what faith is, how faith comes, how to turn your faith loose. Let's talk about growing and developing in faith. Growing and developing in faith. Growing and developing in faith. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 3. 2 Thessalonians 1 3. Paul said this to the church in Thessalonica. He said, we are bound to give thanks to God always for you as it is meet. Because that your faith groweth exceedingly. Your faith groweth exceedingly. And the love of every one of you toward each other aboundeth. So the Thessalonian church had an exceedingly growing faith. And Paul said it was something he was grateful to God for. What does that tell us? That faith can grow. And it is the plan of God that our faith grows. God wants our faith to grow. He wants our faith to grow. Faith can grow. 2 Corinthians 10, 15, he said this, that when your faith is increased, when your faith is increased, so faith can be increased, faith can grow. The disciples said to Jesus in Luke 17, 5, you know, after he told them, if your brother offends you, forgive him. 70 times 7 times, forgive him. They said, Lord, increase our faith. He now said, listen, it's not a matter of me increasing your faith. If you will have faith like a grain of mustard seed. You see, faith works like a seed. A mustard seed, least of all seeds. But Jesus said when it's planted, it grows and becomes a mighty tree that the birds of the air lodge in. So faith grows. Faith grows. In 2 Corinthians 8, 7, he said that the the Corinthian church, that they abounded. Let's, let's read that. Let's read that. He wanted them to abound in the grace of giving. And he had this to say about them. Second Corinthians chapter 8, in verse 7. Therefore, as ye abound in everything. Now, what is this everything that they were abounding in? In faith, and utterance, and knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love to us. See that ye abound in this grace also. He was talking about the grace of giving. But you see, they abounded in the grace in faith. They abounded in faith. Do you see that? So we can abound in faith. Our faith can increase. Our faith can grow. If our faith is going to grow, 
God is not the one who will grow it. Whether my faith grows or doesn't grow is not God's responsibility, it's mine. Are you listening? When we got saved, every one of us, God started all of us on the same measure, on the same level. All of us at the new birth who were given the same measure of faith. Romans 12, 3. I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now, that's not every man in the world. He was talking to the church. Notice he said, I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you. So he was talking to every man among them. Now, who is the you that it was written to? To all that be in Rome, Romans 1.7, beloved of God, called to be saints. So this was written to saints, not folks who ain't. Are you listening? It was written to Christians. And he said, God has dealt to everyone among us the measure of faith. So when we got saved, God started and he starts all of us on the same measure, the same measure of faith. Ephesians 2.8 says, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So, that faith that God gave us was his gift to us. The faith through which we got saved. And how did he give it to us? Romans 10.17. So then, faith coming by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We got that faith when we heard the gospel preached to us. Amen. Then we acted on it, confessed Jesus as our Lord, believing in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, and then we got born again. When we got saved and became children of God, God's DNA was imparted into our spirits. And remember, Hebrews 11.3 says, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. See, God is a faith God, and we are his children. That tells us that we are faith children of the faith God. Are you listening? So faith is part of our DNA because we are the children of the faith God. Romans 12.3, Ephesians 2.8, Romans 10.17. And another scripture, 2 Corinthians 4.13, it says we have in the same spirit of faith. We're not trying to get it. We have it. The same spirit of faith. According as it is written, I believed. Therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. So every believer has the spirit of faith. How did we get it? We got it through the new birth. Every believer has the measure of faith. Faith has been dealt to us. It's been given to us. We have it. Amen. It came to us. So every believer has faith. Every believer has faith. Now, you see, that measure of faith that God gave each of us at our new birth can increase. It can grow. It can grow. And like I said, God is not the one going to increase it. If our faith is to increase, we are the ones, it's our responsibility. We're the ones to see to it that our faith grows. And basically, there are two things we can do to see to it that we grow in faith, that our faith grows, that our faith develops. Now, before we talk about what those two things are, let me reiterate again, faith can grow. 
Faith can grow. Faith can grow. Faith can grow. In Mark chapter 4, Mark chapter 4, if you read from 35 to 41, Jesus told his disciples, let us pass over to the other side. And then he got on the ship with them. When he did, a storm arose. When the storm arose, they woke him up. They said, Master, Master, carest thou not that we perish? The Bible says he arose, rebuked the wind, said unto the sea, Peace be still. And he says there was a great calm. And then he turned at them and said, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? Are you listening? In that incident and at that instance, the disciples exhibited no faith. No faith. Then we read in Matthew 14. Matthew 14 from verse 22 to 31. When Jesus walked on the water to go to them. And then Peter saw him walking and he said, you know, the first thought it was a ghost. And then he said, it is I, be not afraid. Peter said, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee. Well, when he said that, what will Jesus say? Will he say, don't come? No, he said, if it be thou, bid me to come. Jesus had no choice. He said, come. That one word from God changed Peter's life forever. He's the one we have, the only other person we have record of who walked on water other than Jesus because of one word, come. Well, he began to walk on the water. As long as he was looking at Jesus and acting on the word of God, he kept walking on the water. The storms were raging. The wind was contrary, but he was walking on the water. After a while, his attention shifted from Jesus to the storm. He began to look at the adverse circumstances. And the moment his focus was no longer on Jesus, he stopped acting on God's word, and he began to sink. Now, people don't begin to sink. People sink. So that he began to sink still showed that there was a miracle. And then he was able to say, Lord, save me. Have you ever seen someone dive into a swimming pool trying to say, Lord, you will finish the D inside the water. So obviously, it was, a miracle was still taking place, but it was gradually starting to sink. So he said, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and helped him. And he said, Wherefore didst thou doubt, O thou of little faith? So in that instance, Peter exhibited little faith. Now, Jesus was talking in Matthew 6, in verse 30, you know, said, which of you, can, by taking thought, can add one cubit to his stature? You know, if you start from 25, he said, take no thought for your life, what you'll eat, for your body, what you'll put on. It's not the life more than meat. It's not the body more than raiment. He said, consider the fowls of the air. They sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Amen. Then he said, consider the lilies of the field. They toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. He now said, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? That's verse 30. So, little faith exists. When somebody is doubting or someone is worrying, that's little faith. That's little faith. So, in one instance, they exhibited no faith. Another instance, they exhibited little faith. Then, in Matthew chapter 8, Matthew 8, from 5 to 13, Matthew 8, 5 to 13, we see the story there about the centurion who came on behalf of his servant. 
And Jesus wanted to go to his house to get the servant healed. But the man said, listen, you don't have to come to my house. He said, I'm a man under authority, having soldiers under me. I said to this one, go and he goes. Another come and he comes. He said, speak the word only. My servant shall be healed. Jesus said, wow, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. You see, Jesus marveled. Go to Strong's Concordance. Look up the word marvel. Check the number of times it occurs in the four Gospels. You discover that Jesus marveled only at two things. One was faith. The other was the lack of it. Jesus marveled. Wow, not seeing such great faith. No, not in Israel. So Jesus said that that man exhibited great faith. Do you see that? So we've seen no faith. We've seen little faith. Now we've seen one example of, we saw about two examples of little faith. Now we've seen one example of great faith. Now in Matthew 15, Matthew 15, 21 to 28, Matthew 15, 21 to 28, says, Then Jesus departed thence into the coast of Tan, Sidon. Behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coasts, besought him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her, Not a word. His disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she cried after us. And he said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, O Lord, help me. And he said, It's not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. She said, Truth, Lord. Yet the dogs do eat of the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Jesus answered and saith unto her, verse 28, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. So that's another instance of somebody exhibiting great faith. Well, before you think faith is, uh, discriminates against, you know, maybe the female folk. One was a man, the other was a woman. So it has nothing to do with whether you're a man or woman. Amen. Great faith. So we've seen no faith, we've seen little faith, we've seen great faith. Now in talking about Abraham, in Romans chapter 4, verse 19, it says, And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. So weak faith also exists. What is weak faith? A faith that considers contradictory circumstances. That's weak faith. So faith can be weak. Then verse 20 says, but he was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that that which he had promised, he was able also to perform. See, many Christians are strong in faith. They just don't know it. I asked one fellow one time. I said, are you fully persuaded that anything God promises is able to do? He said, sure. Then I asked him, I said, can you praise God for his word? He said, I do that every day. They say, you are strong in faith. Romans 4.20. And he was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that that which he had promised, he was able also to perform. That's strong faith. Many Christians are strong in faith. They just don't know it. So, we've seen no faith, little faith, great faith, weak faith, strong faith. So, faith is measurable. Is measurable. Well, we get over... In um, 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 1.5, it says, what's the end of the commandment? It says, it's charity out of, out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. Faith unfeigned. In 2 Timothy 1.5, we see the same thing. The same faith that was in thy uh, grandmother Lois, in thy mother Eunice, is also in thee. The same unfeigned faith. So that tells us that there's such a thing as Faith that is unfeigned. 
What does it mean for something to be unfeigned without pretense? Feign, to feign something. F-E-I-G-N. There was a time David feigned madness when he was before the Philistines. You know, so that I think, um, so that they don't come and kill him. When Saul was after his life, he now let saliva be coming and touching his beard. You know, it was a smart dude. Yeah. So, faith can be feigned. Pretentious faith. You see people who act like they have everything together. Nothing is together. Oh. It's just pretense. Amen. So, if there can be unfeigned faith, there can be feigned faith. So, faith is qualified by unfeigned also. Well, 1 Timothy 1.19. 1 Timothy 1.19 says, Holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made a shipwreck. So, someone's faith can be shipwrecked. That tells us that they shipwrecked faith. Faith that capsized. Faith that did not get you to the other side. Faith that crashed, that failed, that was destroyed. Shipwrecked faith. Amen. So, we've seen... No faith, little faith, great faith, weak faith, strong faith, unfeigned faith, shipwrecked faith. Shipwrecked faith. First Timothy 1.19. Now, James 2.5. James 2.5 says, Has not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith? So a person can be rich in faith. So there is rich faith too. Someone could be rich in faith. Someone could be rich in faith. Amen. The same James chapter 2 verse 22 Say so he's talking about Abraham, that through his actions, his faith was made perfect. So we could say there's perfected faith. That's the faith that has corresponding action. It's perfected. Some people's faith is not perfected. It's dead. No actions. Now, I'm just pointing out several adjectives that are used to qualify faith. Some people have this idea that it's either you have faith or you don't have faith. If you have faith, you have all the faith there is. If you don't have faith, you don't have any. No, that can be true. Because different of these adjectives are used to qualify it. Amen. Someone can be rich in faith. There can be perfected faith. Then 1 John 5, 4, Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. It says, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. So that's overcoming faith. Overcoming faith. Then in Acts chapter 6, verse 5, as well as verse 8, the Bible talking about Stephen says he was full of faith. So a person can be full of faith. If a person can be full of faith, just like your fuel tank. Sometimes your fuel tank is full. Sometimes half full. Sometimes it's three quarters full. Sometimes it's one quarter full. Sometimes it's empty. Someone can be full of faith. I guess a person can be half full of faith too. Amen. So faith is measurable. That's just the point I was trying to make. All of us, when we got saved, God started us on the same measure of faith. One of the greatest things you can know about faith is the fact that you have it if you're born again. In fact, let's say this together. I am a believer. I am a believer. I'm not a doubter. I have faith. I have, faith. I have mountain moving faith. I have, I have the God kind of faith. I have the, kind of I have the kind of faith that spoke the world into being. I have the kind of faith that spoke the universe into existence. Amen. I've got it. 
God starts all of us on the same measure. Now, that measure can grow. We saw that from 2 Thessalonians 1.3, 2 Corinthians 10.15, 2 Corinthians 8.7. It can grow. It can be increased. But how do we get it to grow and increase? Two things. Number one, by feeding our faith on the word of God. By feeding our faith on the word of God. If our faith is going to grow, we need to feed it on God's word. Feed it on the word of God. 2 Thessalonians 1.3, 2 Corinthians 10.15, 2 Corinthians 8.7. The fact that faith can increase, faith can grow. Luke 17, 5 and 6. He said, increase our faith. And then immediately he's turned back to them. He said, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed. So faith works like a seed. If you take the seed, plant it, water it, the seed will grow. Amen. Nurture it. So faith is something we nurture. How do we nurture our faith? How do we get our faith to grow? Number one, by feeding it on the word of God. By feeding it on the word of God. Matthew 4.4 4 says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. What's Jesus saying there? He's using a natural human term to convey spiritual thought. That what bread or physical food is to the body, that's what the word of God is to our spirits. The word of God is the food of our faith. The word of God is the food of our faith. If you want your faith to grow, feed it. Feed it on what? On the word of God. Feed it on the word of God. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. So we are to meditate in his word. We are to feed upon it. Bosworth said, most Christians feed their bodies three hot meals a day. F.F. Bosworth, the author of the classic, Christ the Healer. Most Christians feed their bodies three hot meals a day, but their spirits, one cold snack a week. And then they wonder why they are so weak in faith. Seven days without the word will make one weak. Amen. Feed your faith regularly on God's word. P.C. Nelson said this. He said, constantly feed along the lines of faith and healing. He said, because the day will come when you will either need faith for your own healing or for the healing of a loved one. And if your faith has not been kept strong in that area, you will be at a disadvantage. Smith Wigglesworth said, if you wait until you need faith and then try to get it, you waited too late. So feed your faith regularly. Feed it on God's word. Feed it on God's word. All of God's word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. So we are to feed on the entire counsel of God's word. But like I said, the whole Bible was written for me. But the epistles are the letters written to me. Spend more time in the New Testament than you do in the Old Testament. See, we are not in the Old Covenant now. We are in the New Covenant. Should we read the Old Testament? Sure. The things that were written at four time, Romans 15.4, were written for our learning, so that we, through the patience and the comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. 1 Corinthians 10.11, the things that happened to Israel, they happened to them as examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. So we are to learn from the Old Testament. You see, the principles have not changed. 
from Old Testament to New Testament principles didn't change. But the practices have changed. See, God did not change. The same God they knew in the Old Testament, the same God who is in the New Testament. What changed was the terms by which he related with mankind. He didn't change. He was a good God. He's still a good God. He hated sin. He still hates sin. He hates sickness. He still hates. He hated sickness. He still hates sickness. He hated poverty. He still hates poverty. He wanted his people blessed. He still wants his people blessed. If people who are his servants could live their lives out under a covenant based on the blood of animals, could live their lives out without sickness and disease, could be prosperous, how much more us under a better covenant established on better promises? Psalm 105 verse 37 says he brought them forth with silver and with gold. And there was not one feeble person among their tribes. Said in Exodus 15 26, If you will hearken diligently to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, who give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes. He said, I will permit none of these diseases, which I have permitted. That's how it is in the literal Hebrew. It's not put, it's permit. Which are permitted upon the Egyptians to come on thee. Said, for I am the Lord that he let thee. So he didn't change. He's still that same Lord that he let thee. He, he's not the Lord that make, maketh thee sick. He's still a healer. Amen. Amen. So you see, we are to learn from the Old Testament. But for God's sake, and for crying out loud, don't try to live in the Old Testament. Live in the New Testament. I meet them all the time. Able ministers of the Old Covenant. That's what some people are. That's where they preach. Their idea of Christianity is really not Christianity. It's glorified Judaism. Listen. We're in a new covenant now. We're in a new covenant now. Yes, we learn from the old. But we are to live in the new. We're to live in the new. Spend more time in the New Testament than in the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, remember that technically, the most of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the New Testament was not in effect. Yes. The New Testament did not start until after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Yes, from Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, calls it New Testament. That's okay. Because the moment he showed up on the earth, he came to enact the new covenant, to ratify it. But technically... The new covenant did not come into effect until after his death, burial, and resurrection. So, study the whole Bible, especially the New Testament, and more so the epistles, from Romans to Jude. Let the bulk of your diet come from there. Feed on God's word. Feed on God's word. Feed your faith. Feed your spirit. Regularly, regularly, regularly. You see, as our faith grows, like I said earlier, Satan's dominion over us wanes. Circumstances become less formidable and, and fear is destroyed. And our faith will grow only as we feed it. Feed your faith. Feed your faith. It's not what you eat that counts. It's what you digest. See, I tell people, have at least a one-year reading plan. Read the Bible through. At least for once in your lifetime. Just read the Bible through, eh? You don't want to get to heaven and you meet Zechariah. And he says, did you read my book? You say, which one? Was it Macmillan that published it? Or Longman? Or Henneman? You know, and then he says, no. In the Bible, you say, Apocrypha? No, he says, it's among the 66 books of the Bible. And you're looking like you're lost. 
Amen. Get acquainted with God through his word. Feed on the word. It's good to have a Bible reading plan. And it's good. It's basic. It's a starting point. Even people who are not born again have read the Bible through several times. Don't talk about you, God's son. Read it through. But beyond reading it through, feed on it. Feed on it. Feed on it. Take those epistles. Like I suggested, those scriptures that tell us who we are, what we have, what we can do because we're in Christ, mark them. Mutter them to yourself. Amen. Think on them. See yourself in the light of those scriptures. And then begin to confess those things. I am who the word says I am. I have what the word says I have. I can do what the word says I can do. The spirit of him that raised Jesus from the dead. He dwells in me and he quickens my mortal body. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Amen. Begin to speak those things to yourself. Feed on the word. Build that word into your spirit consciousness. That's the way to be absolutely victorious in life. Praise God. Feed on the word. Feed your faith. But just feeding your faith is not enough. Exercise it as well. Exercise it as well. Now, he knows quite a lot about some of these things. Imagine a person who doesn't feed. Let's say you haven't eaten for two weeks. And then you now go to the gym. You're trying to carry 50 kilos. It may not be long before we have to carry you. Isn't it? Now, so you need to feed and then exercise. Now, if you feed well, but you don't exercise, you may be big, but your muscles will be weak and flabby. Have you seen some of these weightlifters? One guy goes, huge guy, wants to lift that thing from the floor. He tries like this, eh? It's as if he's going to somersault if he continues trying. He leaves it. He can't lift it. Then one other guy that's not nearly as big goes there. And he just, just does it like snatch. Lifts it high above his head. Like that. And he's like, eh? You see some of these judo fights. One fellow is big. The other is not as big. The guy who's not as big floors the big guy. Then you know it's not just about food. It's also about exercise. Now, if you feed well, but you don't exercise, your muscles will be weak. If you don't feed and you exercise, you want to kill yourself. You understand? Exercise your faith. How do you exercise your faith? Put it to practice. Use it. Use it. James 1.22 says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Put your faith to practice. Use it. At any given point in time, I have a faith project. I have something my faith is working on. Every given point in time. I keep it busy. I keep it busy. And the moment I get over this faith project, I pick another one. Then I pick another one. Then I pick another one. Then I pick another one. I keep it busy all the time. There are some things I can afford to buy with my money, but I don't buy them. Instead, I use my faith to get them because I want to keep my faith active. Are you listening? Exercise your faith. Now, the thing about exercising your faith is this. There's a mistake people make along these lines. And it's that you can't climb a ladder by starting on the top rung. If you're going to climb a ladder, you start from the lowest, then you begin to climb. In exercising your faith, don't start with something big. Start where you are. 
it's a basic mistake people make. They try to believe for things beyond their faith. And then they now say, I, I tried that thing, it didn't work. And every time they've told me that, I felt like saying, yes, now. It doesn't work for stupid people. But I let the love of Christ constrain me. And I don't say it. But I actually thought it. It grows. It grows as we exercise it. I've met people, you know, one person called me, scheduled for major surgery. You know? Then she said she's been trying to believe God for healing concerning the thing. She just hasn't been able to receive her healing on that level. But, you know, she wants me to agree with her that the surgery will go well. She said, sure, I'll agree with you. The surgery will go smoothly. Everything will work fine. If that's where you are, don't condemn yourself over it. And don't condemn somebody else. If they will keep feeding their faith, in a short while, they could outstrip you in faith if you are not careful. Amen. Keep feeding it and using it. Start where you are. George Muller, in his lifetime, he believed God for the equivalent of about 7.5 million US dollars. That's probably like 50 million dollars today. He said when he started using his faith, he took all the faith he had to believe for the equivalent of one dollar in a day. He said, but after 50 years of reading the Bible every day, feeding on it, and using his faith by exercising it, he said a time finally came that he could believe God for one million dollars just as easily as he could for one dollar when he started off. Exercise it. Exercise it. Start where you are. Keep it busy. Keep it busy. If you don't know where your faith is at, then start from something little. Amen. Start from something little. It grows. How does it grow? By feeding it and by exercising it. Exercise it on the level that you are. See, Matthew 9.29, Jesus said, according to your faith, be it unto you. Start at the level that you are. And what's going to happen? In a short while, it will grow. Keep a positive attitude. Keep a positive attitude. There was a time when I could believe God for anything but not healing for malaria. That's a fact. That's a fact. Now, I'm almost shocked that there was ever a time like that in my life. I almost feel embarrassed. But it's the truth. What has happened? Because I kept feeding my faith and using it. I haven't had malaria in decades. I've forgotten what malaria looks like. I've forgotten. I've forgotten what it, My mom said I used to chew chloroquine as a young boy. Chew it. That was how I used to. That stuff I was. You know? It was in the days of the queen. Never queen, chloroquine, camo queen. You know? You don't find those queens anymore. Yeah. Now you find... Uh, you find... Atesunate. You find all this other amok something, amoxy something. You know? I know about the queens. You know? But you see... What has happened? I kept feeding it and using it. I kept feeding it and using it. Now I walk in health all the time and it will stay that way. Praise God. So our faith grows as we feed it, number one, and then number two, as we exercise it. Praise God. So that's how to grow and develop in faith. Now let's get to the last bit of the class. Hindrances to faith. Hindrances to faith. Let me ask a favor. We could actually take a break, Right? We could take a break, you know, and then continue till 5.30. But what if we just continued now and then we finished shortly, took our questions, and by 5 o'clock, we were done. 
students. They like to finish on time. <laughs> okay. Okay, praise God. Now, are there hindrances to faith? Yes, there are. There are hindrances to faith. There are hindrances to faith. But the hindrances to faith are not necessarily what people think they are. They are not demons and witches in the village. No. What are the hindrances to faith? I want to mention some of the major ones. Number one. Now, quite a number of hindrances to faith we see in the Bible. But Jesus mentioned only one. The only one he mentioned must be the major one. It must be the number one one. It must be the one where the greatest enemy is that we should watch out for the most. And what was that? Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. Mark 11, 23 and 24. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, What things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. Well, the very next word, very same breath, and remember what they taught us in primary school about parts of speech, right? Noun, verb, pronoun, adverb, adjective, interjection, preposition, and then there was this one they called conjunction. What's a conjunction? It, limits some, it links something he has just said with something that he's about to say. And so it's still the same discourse. When ye stand praying, forgive, if ye have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. 26, but if ye do not forgive, now will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. What was Jesus simply saying there? This is what he was saying. Unforgiveness is a hindrance to faith and prayer. And that's the truth. And it's the major hindrance. You see, technically, when Jesus said this, the New Testament wasn't in force. In that covenant, they forgave so that they could be forgiven. He said, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who trespass against us. So they forgave so they could be forgiven. We, we don't forgive so that we could be forgiven. We forgive because we have been forgiven. Ephesians 4.32, be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. But this is it. Unforgiveness is still a hindrance to faith. If he continues to violate it, and violate it, and violate it, and violate it, and he's just looking for trouble, we're to keep a tender conscience at all times. See, Paul said in Acts 23.1, he said, I've lived before God with a good conscience up till this day. Said in Acts 24, 16, said, and herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. Where to keep a tender conscience, a tender conscience. I told you of the fellow that was sleeping around without protection even. Now, whether it was with protection, not with protection, it was wrong. But here he was, he wasn't using anything and he said he can't catch any disease. He believes God. Has a bad conscience. That that could escape out of his mouth is a bad conscience. That he could even think like that is a bad conscience. You see people who will do 419, come to tithe. That's a bad conscience. Amen. Let's keep a tender conscience. The moment your conscience warns you of wrong, you do wrong and your conscience begins to condemn you over it, straighten it out immediately. If you need to ask someone to forgive you, go ahead and do so. 
See, 1 John 3, 20 and 21 says, Beloved, if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and knoweth all things. says, And if our hearts condemn us not, then have we confidence towards God. The only time we will have confidence towards God is when our conscience is not condemning us. And if you do wrong, your conscience knows. Your conscience is the voice of your spirit. It's an inward monitor. That sense of right and wrong. Your conscience is a function of your knowledge of God's word. And that's why you need to train your spirit and build the word of God into your spirit and also keep a tender conscience. Obey, let's obey our conscience. Let's obey our conscience. Let's keep a tender conscience. Now, along this line, let me say this. Look, I'm a faith man. Are you listening? And we should be faith people. Many years ago, I saw in Psalm 91 verse 10, where the Bible says, There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. 11 says, For he will give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. The Swedish translation says, There shall no accident overtake thee. So I claimed that. That the longest day I live, I'll never have an accident. I never have, I never will. But let me tell you something. Yes, I've released my faith for protection. But if I'm about to travel and I have a check on the inside of me that says, don't go, wait, wait. I won't say, no, I will go. I believe God. I'm protected. If I do that, I am in disobedience. You see, part of the way God is honoring my faith is him telling me, don't go this time. Go that time. Remember in Acts 27, verses 9 and 10, when Paul said, I perceive that this voyage we will hurt and much damage, not only of the laden and sheep, but also of our lives. He perceived it. If they had listened to Paul, they wouldn't have lost all they did and almost lost their own lives as a result. So, if we just keep a tender conscience, are you listening to me? If you don't keep your conscience tender, spiritual things will become indistinct to you. Because it's through our conscience, the voice of our spirit that God speaks to us. Keep a tender conscience. Keep a tender conscience. Keep a tender conscience. There are some things some people can do. I wonder how they can do it. Well, they didn't start that way. But they persisted in doing wrong stuff. Until the time came, their conscience, their heart, their hearts got hardened. Ephesians 4.32, be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted tender-hearted. Let's be tender-hearted toward each other. Let's be soft-hearted. Don't let's be hard-hearted toward God, toward other believers, toward other people. Let's keep a tender heart. Amen. So, hindrances to faith. We said number one, unforgiveness. We said number two, not walking in love. We said number three, disobeying your conscience, violating your conscience, the hindrance. Well, number four, Lack of knowledge of God's word. Lack of knowledge of God's word. Lack of knowledge of God's word. Romans 10, 17 says, So then, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. There are two kinds of unbelief. One kind of unbelief is the result of a lack of knowledge of God's word. Lack of knowledge of God's word. The reason some people can't believe beyond where they are is because they don't know anymore. They don't know better. So, lack of knowledge of God's word. What are some areas where people lack knowledge? Some people lack knowledge about the fact that they are new creatures. They don't know what it means to be a new creature. They think all they had was the forgiveness of sins. So, because they lack knowledge about the fact that they are new creatures, it hinders their faith. Some people lack knowledge about their place in Christ and Christ's place in them. 
See, the Bible says in Colossians 2, 9 and 10, it says, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Verse 10 says, And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principalities and powers. See, we are complete in him. So we need to have knowledge of who we are in Christ. Some people lack knowledge about righteousness. Colossians 2, 9 and 10. Then 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, For he has made him to be seen for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Lack of knowledge of righteousness hinders people perhaps more than any other thing when it comes to walking in faith. Lack of knowledge about who we are in Christ. Lack of knowledge of God's word. Lack of knowledge about righteousness. Some people lack knowledge about our legal right to use the name of Jesus. They don't know that name belongs to us. Some lack knowledge about how to act on God's word. Some lack knowledge about our confession in Christ. But you see, a lack of knowledge of God's word will hinder our faith. 1 Timothy 6.12 says, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called. So that tells us that there's a fight to faith. If there's a fight to faith, then certainly there are enemies to faith. Now, where, what are these enemies? Where are these enemies at? Romans 10.17 gives us a clue. When it says, so then, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. If God's word is what produces faith, then a lack of understanding of God's word will be a major hindrance to our faith. And like I said, I just itemize different areas where people lack knowledge of God's word. Get the knowledge of the word. See, the greatest resolution you can have this year is that you will grow in your knowledge of God's word. That's the greatest resolution you can have. If your knowledge of God's word grows, your faith will grow automatically and you will grow up spiritually. Give yourself to study the word. Attend to the word. When I went to Rayma, I had an exercise book for each course. I still have those exercise books. I took good notes. When I was taking those notes, it wasn't because one day, I, I was thinking that one day I'll be teaching some of those classes, which is what has happened today. Who knows? Maybe you'll be teaching a class one of these days. And maybe you'll be looking for notes. Take good notes in class. Do the reading assignments. Don't just do those reading assignments so you can get 25 marks. You know, just read through. You know, speed reading. Did you complete the reading assignment for this God? Yes. But then someone asks you, what did you read? I beg my guy. I don't know the thing with the thing they say. I just made sure my eye ran on every page. And I tried to make sure my eye went on every line. I just can't. I just can't through. Listen, it's not your enemy's life. It's your life. Don't treat it like it's your enemy. It's you. Get knowledge of the word. Study it. Apply yourself to it. Amen. Then number five, the fifth hindrance, which is the second kind of unbelief. Refusal to act on God's word. Fifth hindrance to faith. Refusal to act on God's word. See, some people know what the word of God says, but they don't act on it. Refusal to act on God's word. Refusal to act on God's word. Hebrews 4.11 Let us labor therefore to enter into his rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. See, the word for unbelief there is unpersuadableness. American Standard Version calls it disobedience. Some people are not persuaded. They know what the word of God says. Like those Israelites. God gave them his word. The promised land is theirs. Go and possess it. They got to the border. They knew what God said. 
but instead they rebelled against what God said. They weren't sufficiently persuaded to act on God's word. They refused to act on the word. They refused to act on the word. Act on God's word. Keep the right attitude towards God's word. See, some people are deceived. They have grandiose delusion. Delusions of grandeur. Big time deception. And it wasn't the devil that deceived them. They deceived themselves. How? They know what the word of God says, but they refuse to act on it. They refuse to act on it. Don't be one of such people. Don't be one of such people. Act on God's word. Act on God's word. Act on God's word. What does the word of God say? Act on it. Act on it. Act on it. Praise God. Act on God's word. And with that, we have come to the end of the course. Praise God. Unforgiveness, not walking in love, disobeying your conscience, lack of knowledge of the word, refusal to act on God's word. Praise God. So we'll just take our questions. Amen. Praise the Lord. If you have a question, bring it up. Praise God. You know, like sometimes when people are getting married, they say, if you have any reason why they shouldn't marry, say, speak now or be forever silent. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You know, but this is an opportunity. You have a question. Do I have all the answers? I don't. And I don't claim to, but God's word does. And we'll just endeavor to do the best we can to examine them in the light of the word of God. Praise God. Praise God. Any more questions? One more. All right. Questions, questions, questions. Okay, let me get started because we're going to be out by five. Or I'm going to stop by five. Question. Thank you very much, sir, for my question is, is faith a seed or a gift? It's both. It's both. Jesus said, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, so faith works like a seed. And then, uh, Ephesians 2.8, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Now, the Greek word there was doron. Doron means a present. There's another place where the Bible talks about the gift of special faith. That's something different. That's a manifestation of the Holy Ghost. See, the faith through which we were saved was given to us by God. How did he give us? Through hearing his word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. All right. What is the difference between believing and faith? Well, one is a verb, the other is a noun. That's all. Faith is a noun. Believing is a verb. That's all. Pistis, pistio. Uh, I can get into a little bit of technicality. We say believing is a verb. Faith is a noun. Believe is a verb. Faith is a noun. Believe is the act. That that action is faith. That's been technical. You know? Yeah. You know, but they're somewhat synonymous. Okay. Is it possible for one to have faith and keep saying, saying by God's word, yet the situation still turns out negatively? It's not possible. It's not possible. It's not possible to be in faith and keep speaking what the word of God says about the situation and for it not to work. It's not possible. This is it. Sometimes, sometimes, let's say for instance, uh, a fellow is believing God for their healing, but they need some help. Their faith is not there. 
they need medical help. Maybe they need some medication or maybe they need surgery. And the person is confessing. To him, it may look like his faith is not working. No, faith works. It's just that he needs some help. And then there are sometimes some of the things people claim they are believing for, they don't really have God's word for. So they don't have a foundation. And sometimes, let's say a fellow is not walking in love or permitting unforgiveness in their heart. It will hinder their faith from walking. So there could be different reasons why it seems like a person is not getting results. God's word always works. If you're not getting the results, you're not making your connection somewhere. Now, do you condemn yourself over that? No, you don't. But if you go into the word of God, trusting the spirit of God to illuminate your heart and your mind, he will let you know the adjustments you need to make. Amen. But it's not possible to act on the word of God and for it not to work. Sometimes, some situations just require some time. There's a place of having done all to stand, stand therefore. You know, so there are times you might need to stand for a bit of time for the situation to change. And there are some times you just need help. Go and get it. Praise God. How do we have faith for the healing of someone who is not aware of his environment? In other words, believe for the healing of someone who is mentally ill. Now, you can have faith in your own life. Your faith will always work for you. Where someone else's life is concerned, you can't always have faith for their healing. No. When your children are under you, you can carry them on your faith. If it is a bona fide baby Christian, you can believe God for the person's healing. Are you listening? You can carry the person in, in faith. But once people have had time and opportunity to grow, to be exposed to God's word, God expects them to start doing some believing of their own. And if they are not, well, it's just too bad. Are you listening? Some cases of mental illness. Some cases of mental illness are caused by demon activity. Some, it's just natural causes. You don't rest, you could break down. You worry, you could break down. So there could be different causes. But can people be helped? Yes. Are there ways to help people? Yes. If somebody is mentally ill, if somebody is mentally ill, if the person is still at the level where you can get across to the person with God's word, then you can use God's word to help them. If they are beyond that place where they can understand God's word, then you have to depend on the Holy Ghost for a manifestation of the Spirit of God. But there's always help in God. Okay. All the faith that Jesus recognized as great faith in the gospel, can we classify them as Bible kind of faith? Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Since faith is now, Hebrews 11.1, 1, is it right to use the phrase, I am believing God for? Yeah, I am believing God for. That's present tense. That's now. Provided you're actually believing God for it. You know, you know folks sometimes say things that they don't mean. Amen. I am believing God. That's present tense. That's present continuous tense. Sir, juxtapose, actually, juxtapose. What you said about acknowledging a, a, a something with what Jesus said about Lazarus' death. Okay, acknowledging a, a, a problem. 
Okay, the person who wrote this, if you know what you wrote, you could just tell us. Juxtaposing a... Okay. Now, when Lazarus was sick and near death, right? You know, Jesus first said that, first and foremost, they told him that his friend was sick. He got there two days after they told him. The guy had been dead four days. Which meant if he went there immediately, he would have died two days. You see that? Well, if we could raise two-day cadaver, we may just make it four days. In case some people think he just took Valium 5 or Valium 10 and had a deep sleep, he's dead. Or he died. Let people know he's really, he really died. Then, you see, what did Jesus say when they said Lazarus was sick? He said this sickness is not unto death. For more information and inquiries, please visit our website www.remanigeria.com or you can reach us on 08100163948 or 08076576163.